Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Set, go. Everybody, you're now joined to the one and only podcast with Deshaun Jackson, Fade the Booth. I got the money, but my pride keep me in the streets. I got the hustle, but we guarantee we gon' You won five Grammys, 11 BET awards. Too hard, you gotta get up on and if I get a chance to play with them, it's over. So I felt like, no, I will not lose. I cannot lose. A lot much respect, no disrespect. All across the world, yeah, my name ring What's going on, everybody? You're now joined to the one and only podcast of Deshaun Jackson, Fade the Booth. And I'm very honored to have my brother, my friend, Michael Rubin. What's up, Mike? How you been, bro? My brother, how are you? Hey, man, it's a blessing, man. You know, what, what, what's your world been like, man? How's the new baby? Um, How's that going for you? She's doing great. Super cute. Life's good. Business has been great. I'll tell you what. Relative to being in the middle of a pandemic, life's been pretty good. You know, it's been, this has been the most interesting year I've ever, uh, you know, I've ever seen plus, I think, for the whole world. But it's been, it's been great. We've done a lot of things to make the world a better place. I've had fun. I'm learning, growing. Business has been great, which is, uh, knock on wood, I'm lucky to say, anyone can say business is good during the pandemics. Right. Pretty, and, uh, you know, we're doing good stuff. Man, that's that's always a pleasure to have, man. Um you know, man, honestly, uh, you know, when you come in to fade the booth, man, uh, to let you know, so fade the booth is actually, you know, a strategic name that I came up with. You know, I'm a wide receiver, so I don't know if you know this. I'm gonna give you give you a, tri- a trivia question. Do you know what a fade? I'm route- not gonna know the answer because no, I'm you so might, little- bro, you might know. Do you know what a fade route is when it comes to football? Yes. Tell me. I know it's something that you do. <laughs> Wait I, know, <laughs> Wait I know something you I know something you do. I know something a, a wide receiver does, and I know that. And you know what? My football, my football skills, they're medium. I mean, it's not horrible. Basketball is a little better, but you know, I, I like the name, I like the creativity, and sure. we gotta make this one super uh, super interesting. No, we definitely will. So for those of y'all sitting back at home. The fade route of a of a position on the football field is actually like a go route. So that's like my favorite route. Like I'm fast and I feel like I can outrun everybody. So that's the fade route. So fade the booth is me running the fade route and I'm now in the booth. So I'm fading to the booth. Um, so, Mike, man, uh, you know, I did a lot of research. You know, we, we've been friends, man. I, I, I tell people this a, a lot. We actually met my first uh around, my first time around when i was actually young i think it was my first couple of years when i was um first you know, of all you're of, still young i want to start with that i'm not all right well the the, the younger wild dj i think i was probably like 22 21 when i first met uh mike michael rubin actually we was on the on the floor you know you can't go to the game and being going to the sister game without sitting on the floor with mike so for those of y'all who know if y'all go to a game with mike y'all if if he messes, if if you his boy, you are gonna be sitting on the floor right next to him. But the good news is, when you come, what happens? We always get the win. I got that good energy, man. We always your track get the record win. is good. Yeah, but um, so yeah. Long story short, man, I've been knowing Mike, you know, 
10, going on 10 to 12 years, man, that, uh, you know, every time, like I said, every time we go to a game, man, we always have fun. But, uh, you know, the flip side, I didn't really know as much as I knew about Mike until, like, you know, recently, maybe, like, within the past, like, six months, man. I, I kind of dove in, man. I feel like, you know, you was, um, you know, someone that came – you know, to me when I when I was going through a lot of my in my career, man, and um, you know, I just want to appreciate you and just reach out to you and let you know, man, that you standing up and basically have my back when I was when I was down at the steep lowest, man. I really appreciate that. So, you know, what I did on the flip side, once you, you know, came to defense, and it's not really came to defense, but once you had your brother's back, when somebody goes through diversity, um, I mean adversity. I'm sorry about that. When you go through adversity, you know, and someone has your back. You know, you kind of dive in and just see like, man, it's something about that guy. So, you know, I did a lot of research and study on you, man. And, and the first thing I want to ask you, um, growing up in Lafayette, um, PA, as a young kid, man, what, what was that like for you growing up in, uh, in PA? You know, let me go. I want to take a step back for one second. I got to tell you, when you went through um, kind of the experience, kind of the mistake that you made for me, I knew you well enough to know there wasn't a chance in the world that there is a racist bone in your body. And that's why it was important to me to speak up on your behalf. And even though I took a lot of shit for it, I didn't care because you know you and I know you, you know what? You know, one of the things I've learned from some of my friends in the last five, 10 years is, you know, we all grew up differently. And I grew up in a very middle-class family and I was fortunate and I had a lot of opportunity as a result of that. You know, somebody grows up, you know, you know, may not be studying world history and just may not be educated. Uh, you know, specific issues. So right. honestly, you know, my phone started blowing up when you went through that and people were like, you know, I can't believe your boy. I can't believe what he's saying. And my response was, I know it wasn't right, but I know him and there's not a chance that he meant there's a, you know, he misspoke. He didn't, you know, mean wrong. And that's why I want to let people know that I knew that wasn't you and that I had all love for you. And, you know, I'm actually, I look, I fucked so many things up in my life. Right. And I used to say, you got to take a negative and turn it into a positive. And, you know, the way you went out and said, hey, you know what, who should I speak to? Who can I learn from? Who can educate me on these issues? And, you know, you didn't sit there and try to, you know, defend yourself. You said, okay, I screwed up. I misspoke. And how can I learn and grow from it? And that's what I love about you. And, you know, I screw up all the time. And when I screw up, the best thing, the best thing I always try to do is take my L, learn from it, and then, you know, grow from it. And you know what? For sure. Make mistakes. And, you know, if you don't make mistakes, you're not trying hard enough. And I know one of the things I know about you is you're out there trying to do good for your community. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you're not always as formed as you need to. And I was actually joking with you and said, you know, we all need to be more careful what we say because, you know, the world, you know, you know, expects us as, as, as leaders to, you know, know what we're talking about. And so it just, it makes us all better. Yes. No, hundred percent, man. Like I said, as a brother, you know, someone that I, I look up to and uh, someone that I feel like is, is the, you know, no one's perfect. You get what I'm saying? But I feel like you have the, 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 the great platform to, you know, to kind of reach and, you know, go for it, you know, and, and me looking up to you, man, I just, that, that meant the world to me, man. Cause, and not only that you're Jewish and you know, you come from the community. So, uh, you know, like I say, appreciate you salute to you, but, uh, yeah, man. Um, tell, tell me how it was growing up in Lafayette, um, Hill, man. Yeah. You, you know, for me, um, uh, the truth be told, growing up for me, completely polar opposite of you. I was a terrible athlete. <laughs> I was a terrible I'm going to ask you about that too. Come on. Keep going. <laughs> I, I was awful. Okay. The one thing I was good at was business. So I always kind of put my energy to what I was good at. So as a kid, literally, like ever since I was little, 
I was not good in school. And ever since I was little, I really wasn't good in sports. It's like, what do I work? I was always doing different businesses. So I'd say from the time I was a kid, I was selling something in one form or another. I mean, I remember literally being, sounds crazy now, but like eight years old, nine years old, it would snow in the neighborhood. I go out and hire five kids and I go to the door and sell the snow shoveling and they right. to work for me to actually do the work. And, you know, yeah. I, you know, selling baseball cards door to door. I was selling stationery in the computer door to door. I was always just kind of wheeling and dealing. And yeah. you know, it actually teaches you, you got to do things that you love and that you're good at. And that's what I always did as a kid. So you know, I was, look, I was fortunate. I grew up in a very middle-class family. I had uh, two incredible parents. I was lucky. You know, I learned from them. I grew from them. You know, I know you met my mom a few times over, over the years. Yeah. She was, you know, she was incredible. My dad was incredible. So I, I was, I was very fortunate. I see so many people that grow up that don't, you know, have two loving parents that don't, you know, have a, you know, kind of a good, you know, you know, framework set out for them. And, and um, that's why I always try to do things I can to help people, you know, any, any, any place I can. Man, that's awesome, man. To sit back and, and hear the mentality like you said, we grew up totally different, man. And, you know, for you being eight, nine years old and figuring out ways you could hustle and go hiring kids, you know, flip side me, I'm I'm the one that's running around the neighborhood, probably pigging, throwing eggs at people's car, ding-dong ditch, or fighting in the neighborhood with my friends. Like, you know, we was total opposite. But, like, for you, that just – it shows a lot about you and your character, man. For you to be able to be hustling, man, at eight, nine years old. Like, I'm in my mind, at eight, nine years old, I'm just trying to be a kid and have fun, man. So that just – you know, shows the type of person you are. So that, that goes exactly into what, you know, my next um, topic was basically. So you, you admitted to me, I didn't even ask you admitted to me and you said you wasn't a good athlete, <laughs> That's for but, sure. but you was good at, but you was good at skiing. You was good at skiing, man. Tell me about the skiing. Cause I, the story I read, man, you actually was good at skiing. You was terrible at any other sport, but you was good at skiing. And you put the one sport I was respectable at. You know, I tell you too, by the way, I have some bets with some mutual friends of ours that think they could out-ski me. It's the one sport I'm still (laughs) confident in. I'm trying to make sure I don't get anyone injured right now, but it is the one sport. You know, I grew up skiing as a kid. I actually um, skied for the first time when I was two and a half years old. And my first day skiing, I actually crashed into a Offense the Poconos and had a uh, blood coming out of my nose everywhere, but I went right back at it the next day. And uh, <laughs> you know, the one sport I was good at, I liked, and it's actually a great family sport. I, yeah. I do it every year. Take my daughter, try to not be on my phone the entire time. I will admit, uh, just a few years ago, I was um, with a, a new friend of yours, David Edelman, a buddy of mine. We were right. in together. And I was making. We were going up the chairlift. I was making fun of him, telling him like what a bad athlete he is, how uncoordinated he is, and um, basically making fun of him as I should. And we got off the chairlift and like a blizzard broke out in Colorado. And I was on the phone trying to get a deal done, seeing down the hill, which is like as dumb as you could be. You know, like that yeah. your phone calls as you're going uh, for, for I'm catching a field ball. Yeah, I'm catching exactly. a field ball. <laughs> and I, um, and I lost track of David and went the wrong way. And before you know it, I tumbled about five times over and tore my meniscus. For wow. So that's actually my last time skating in the last couple of years. So it might mean I'm actually a bad athlete everywhere, including skating. Well, you know, we're not, we, we're not so going to add it. When I came, hold on. When I came down the hill with a torn meniscus and couldn't walk, Dave was like, that serves you right. Don't talk shit. Right. Well, you, you know, I'm, I always got to talk my shit and throw in my extra little side because, you know, you're my boy and my brother. But, you know, we're not going to speak for the, you know, the, the weight he's put on, too. So that doesn't make it a little better either. <laughs> exactly. Hey, um, <laughs> hey, so look, uh, you opened up a ski shop, bro, your freshman year in high school, man. Talk, talk about 
a freshman of high school, bro, you open up your own ski shop and you revenue 125K in your first year as a freshman? Like, come on, yeah, man. Like, you know, for me, because I always loved business and it was the one thing I was good at, I actually opened a ski tuning shop in my parents' basement. I would basically, you had skis, I'd fix them, you know, $10, $25 to kind of, you know, sharpen your skis, put wax on your skis. And then the following season, um, there were a bunch of other ski shops that almost went out of business because it didn't snow one season. So right. I ended up lending me the ski equipment and I, and I borrowed it and then I paid them for it as I sold it. And when I was 13 years old, I actually did $25,000. Uh, and by the way, I had no rent. So I made about $15,000 as a 13 year old. And so the following year I went to my mom, I said, mom, I got this great idea. I want to open a ski shop. And she said, like, you know, I'm a psychiatrist. You're out of your mind. This is not what kids do. Like go back to school. So I waited till she went to work. My dad came home. I said, dad, I got this great idea. I want to open a ski shop. And he said, you talked to your mom? I'm like, no, nah, I haven't talked to her yet. And he's like, okay, listen, I needed one thing for my dad. You just needed him to co-sign the lease because I had the money to pay the lease. It was right. $800 a month, but I needed him to co-sign the lease because I wasn't 18 yet. I was 14. Right. And he said, look, so long as you do good in school, um, you know, I'll co-sign the lease. And of course, he co-signed the lease and, you know, I paid the rent and then did shitty in school. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I saw that. So, I mean, in, in my mind, like, if, if I had a hundred, I don't know if that was the exact number, but just, you know, if the research I did, if I had 125,000 as a freshman, Hey, you, you, knowing you, everybody, Michael Rubin, he goes and buys a Porsche. <laughs> Who was that, man? You bought a Porsche boy at 16? 15, 15. At 15? Come on, bro. Listen, you know what? I, you know, stuff got to my head. Here I am, this 14 year old kid, you know, I'm doing $125,000 in business. The next year, um, we do great. We do like $500,000 in business. And then the following year, I, I guess I was just turning 16. Yeah. He said, hey, we should buy a Porsche together. We actually went 50-50, a much older friend, and we bought this Porsche together. And right after that season, it didn't snow that year. And now, basically, I have all this debt. I'm out of money. And, you know, basically, I own half of a Porsche. And it basically showed me, like, you got to have your priorities right. So at 16 years old, I'm basically almost going bankrupt, you know, right. but you know, for me, this sounds crazy. I like to fail because every time I fail, I turn that into the next positive. I learn from it and grow from it. And as yeah. years old, I'm almost out of business. I almost go bankrupt, but all these other ski shops were also almost going bankrupt and going bankrupt. I started buying their inventory um, from auctions and then selling it to other people. And so I started uh -huh. a lot of money. So by the time I was 18 years old, I had two and a half, I had five ski shops doing two and a half million dollars in business. So, the reason I tell you this is like every time I failed, I figured a way to turn it into my next positive. And that's been my whole life. And, you know, every year I can tell you something I've really screwed up. I've turned it into a positive. Right. Yeah, man, that, that's dope, man. I, you know, if anything I'll take off of or take from this so far, and we only been in 15 minutes, man, it, the mentality you have. And, you know, it's similar to me. That's why I think we click, we click so, uh, you know, in JOL together because, you know, me, my odds always been, you know, I was always been the smallest guy. I always been. Um, you know, the naysayers say, Hey, he, how, how the heck can he make it to the NFL? He's not even over six feet. He doesn't even weigh more than 180 pounds. So for me, you know, I kind of used all you're like 160. No, I'm, I'm more like 180. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> <laughs> hey, nah, but like for me, man, I always use that negative energy to feed off, man. And like, I'm kind of crazy. Like you, like how you want to fail and you figure out like how, how I, I mess up to, to get back on my feet. Like me, I used all that negative energy to turn into a positive. So um, you know, 
we 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 gonna uh we're gonna get into an, another segment. I got an endorsement segment, man. You know, I want everybody to sit back and watch this, man. This is the 10 hats, man. This is this is actually a cool thing, man. We have the endorsements and sponsorships by Deshaun Jackson. I'm sponsorshipping my own shit right now. So everybody understand these are not regular 10 hats, they're 10 hats with a signature on them. Who does that, man? I, I hey y'all go oh, check first it out. Of all, we're gonna have to get those hats and lids right away. Hey, bro, look look how crazy this is. I like them. I see it. I see it. They're looking, on, they're, hey, they're they're looking got, good. They're looking good. They're looking hot. It got lids all over, man. So, you know, everybody check it out. DeshaunJackson.com. Uh, um, you know, we got one of one, one times one clothing as well, too, that you guys could go on. And another thing, man, don't forget about the foundation. Deshaun Jackson 10 Foundation for Pancreatic Cancer. You know, I lost my, my dad in 2009 to pancreatic cancer, uh, actually stage four cancer. And, uh, you know, it changed my life, man. It, it opened up a lot of um, doors for me because I was understanding, you know, what my dad really meant to me. You know, he pushed me every step of the way. And, um, you know, without my dad and the people he surrounded around me, man, it wouldn't be possible that I'd be in front of you guys. So uh, appreciate y'all go support that, man. And, um, you know, next up, man. So look, in college, you went to college, bro, for six weeks. You And you went because you you, you promised your dad you was going to go to college. But six weeks, bro? Like, come on, bro. You You dropped out in six weeks. Hold on. Don't speak on that yet. Dropped out in six weeks. And I, I heard you touch on it a little bit. So you went into resale closeouts. It was a resale closeout business. You grew that to a hundred mil and a revenue of 10 million, bro. And net profit by the age of 21. Mike, like I said, if I don't, if I don't remember nothing else from this, bro, you, you got something up your sleeve, man. Talk to me a little bit about that, man. How, how did you promise your dad that you was going to go to college? And you drop out in six weeks, bro. Come on, talk to me. So really what happened was, you know, I started to tell you when I was 16, I basically, it didn't snow one year and I ran out of money. And I was literally that spring, the sheriff's office showed up at my parents' house every day for three months straight. I probably had a hundred lawsuits at the age of 16 because I didn't have the money to pay all these people to ship me merchandise because it didn't snow. And I'm out there buying Porsches and <laughs> an idiot, but I didn't actually have the money to pay my bills. And so I thought my life was over and, you know, I'm a complete failure. I'm never going to be any good in business. And um, I was about to go bankrupt and I hired a bankruptcy lawyer. And the bankruptcy lawyer said to me, by the way, how old are you? I said, I'm 16. He says, you're not even old enough to incur debt. Right. Like, he's like, no, you're not old enough to incur debt. And that's when he got all the people together I owe money to. And he got them to take 20 cents, actually 18 cents of the dollar because I wasn't old enough to owe debt. So once I, um, I'm, I went to my dad, it was the first time I ever asked my dad for money. I said, dad, you know, can I borrow money? Can I borrow? It was $38,000. My dad's like, look, that's a huge amount of money to me, but I'll lend you the money if you agree to go to college. Mm-hmm. I agreed, of course, because I needed the 38000 Right, to pay it off. Literally, literally, a few weeks later, there was another ski shop that went out of business. They had $200,000 of inventory, and I bought it at an auction for $13,000. I went wow. back Dad, great news. If you just give me another $13,000, I'll be able to pay you back the $38,000 bar. My dad looked at me, he's like, are you out of your mind? Like, <laughs> that $38,000 was a ton of money. I'd like, you know, I'm not giving you that money. So I started going door to door to my neighbors. And I found a neighbor who said, look, I'll lend you the $13,000. I want $1,000 a week interest because you're going to make so much money from this. Right. Great. thousand a week interest on $13,000? Amazing deal. I'll take the $13,000. And I actually started going through the yellow pages selling stuff door to door. And literally I sold enough inventory to pay back within three weeks, the $16,000 that I owed 
13,000 plus 3,000 dollars in interest. And then right. I was able to sell the rest of the inventory to pay my dad back the $38,000. Fast forward, um, now it's time to go to college. Yeah. Actually, you know, it's actually a pretty um, funny memory. Villanova, right? Well, I applied to Villanova and I applied to Temple and I applied to Drexel. And I thought, hey, here's this, you know, teen entrepreneur. Uh, you know, I've got all these great stories about me on TV and in the paper. Of course, they're going to want me. I sent them all my application with, with, um, with um, you know, a bunch of media stuff. And within days, I'm getting letters back. I'm like, this is amazing. I'm getting into school. All three schools rejected me. Damn. I didn't any of the three schools. And so I did a, a skiing show on WIP radio. And Roly Massimino, the basketball coach from Villanova, um, did a show um, Saturday morning after I did my show. And um, I went to Roly Massimino and said, hey, can you help me get into Villanova? And literally, he he took me to the dean of the school. This is, you know, literally 1989. Right. And so this guy would be great. And so they took me into Villanova. And then I'm in the parking lot buying and selling clothes out footwear, you know, wheeling and dealing for millions of dollars of merchandise. I just, I couldn't get into school. So yeah. I is for most people. It just wasn't for me. And right. so as a dad, you know, I gave him my best and he looked at me and said, you know, what am I going to do? You got to do what you want to do. And certainly right. that's what I supportive. I was lucky. No, nah, dope, man. That's, that's definitely a, a dope thing. Like, so for me sitting back here and it, man, it just, it was something about you and the niche of being a hustler, man. Like, that's just what I take out of it. Like you had a, a chance to get some more money from your dad. He looked at you like you was crazy. So you was like, I didn't have a chance. I tried. Right. I mean, at least you try shit. So, I mean, then from there, that didn't go work. I mean, that didn't work out, you know, right. So then you go to the yellow pages and then you go freaking to some a neighbor's house and you get 13,000. Like, I mean, and then you pay back, like you said, you end up paying 16 back and with 3000 interest. So, uh, like how, how was it basically growing the, 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 the revenue um, that $10 million profit at by the age of 21 and having like a hundred million, like what, just cause at that age, I mean, obviously, you know, for me being um, a great athlete and playing football, you know, by the time I was 20, I was a millionaire, but you know, for me, it was a little different. Like I, I like your hustling and, and like, what was it that drove you? Like, I know you, that's just what you did, but like, what was it that drove you to, to want to keep selling or to keep like, you know, profiting off of, uh, off of whatever it is you was doing. What was that? So let me tell you what it's never been about is money. I've never cared about, to me, financial success is a scorecard. Right. I, and of course, like everyone wants to be successful financially, but I've always cared about like winning. Like to me, I love the action. Like I love to just go for it, um, you know, do good things in business. And I think I've always been driven by the goodness mm-hmm. of business. Like how can I, you know, beat my competitor? How can I do better than my competitor? How can I innovate against my competitor? How can I do something more creative than my competitor? That's always the way I've been. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think like in, in that mindset, I mean, it's hard to feel when you have that mindset. And like you say, I mean, I, I know everyone talks, Oh, I want money. I want to be a millionaire. I want to do this at the end of the day. Like once you accomplish that, you still have goals that you want to accomplish. And I feel like, you know, you, you're just never satisfied and you know, the money is great with it, but it's more of the desire to want to do good in business, the desire to compete. You know, me, 13 years in the NFL, you know, after a while, it's, it's repetitive. So it's almost the same thing each and every year. Off-season comes, you got to work out, you got to eat, you got to go to this training facility, you got to do all that stuff. But for me, it's the the competitive nature, the ill will to want to be great. Like, I, I, you have the Jerry Rice's, the uh, the uh, Randy Moss's, you get what I'm saying? Like, the Michael Irvin's. Like, for me, 
I feel like they planted the way for me, so I have to go, you know, up that ladder. And I, I think vice versa. Who, who, I, I did I did the same thing in business for sure. Like, who can I beat? How can I be better than that person? That right. all, I'm sure you look at everybody else in that phone and say, how can I be better than that? How can I be better than that star? For sure. So in the business world, um, I'm curious to know, like, who who is it that you feel is your your competitive nature? If it's not a, a person, is it a, a company? Is it a, a Fortune 500 business? Like, who was that? Or there's somebody that you looked up to? Like, who was that that always drove you? Because, like, you know, for me, it was like Jerry Rice and Randy Moss. Like, on the flip side, who was it for you? Yeah. You know, as a kid, I started, you know, I went from the ski business to the footwear business. I had, I owned a couple of footwear companies in my early 20s. Yeah. For these uh, two little companies called Nike and Reebok. When I, <laughs> you, heard, you heard what he said, two little companies. Yeah, two little companies. And, you know, <laughs> for me, I always looked at Nike like I always had so much respect for Phil Knight. Like that was, I'm going to tell, I, I probably barely said this in my life. I haven't read a book since since probably high school. The last book I read was The Swoosh. It was about the unauthorized story of Nike. And like, I love looking at like, how did he build this incredible company? So I'd say as a kid, the person I most admired was the founder um, of Nike, Phil Knight. Phil Knight. That's crazy. Said I was going to say Phil Knight for sure. Yeah. And, and I'd say today it's more companies. Like I look, you know, I'm in the e-commerce business. And how do you not look at Amazon and Alibaba and not have huge admiration for these companies? I mean, two companies, Amazon and Alibaba, changing the world. Right. Nah, man, you, you hit it right on point, man. So uh, I don't want you to get too far ahead of me because I got some some questions about the e-commerce and the v-commerce. We're going we're gonna to wait a little bit. So uh, so in 2011, man, you sold GSI to eBay for $2.4 I'm not, you know, trying to throw your, your personal info out there. It's, you know, it's... It's public, <laughs> but we don't have to talk, talk too much. Yeah, we don't have to talk too much on the on the numbers and stuff. But, you know, I'm just giving facts to the people sitting back at home. You know, it's a lot of motivation. It's a lot of, uh, you know, get up off the couch and get to work type shit we talking about right now. You know, you ain't going to get shit by sitting on the couch, kicking your feet up, eating some popcorn and eating ice cream. So everybody's doing it. You could do it, but you got to work. Um, yeah, man, 2.4. And um, you sold you sold it to uh, to compete with Amazon. I, I hear you teach. I mean, I hear, I hear you speak on or you touched on Amazon. Um, explain the e-commerce at that time um, when you sold it back in 2011, because I know it's it's elevated and it's on on a different level right now. But back then in 2011, when you sold GSI to eBay, um, tell me was that how was it competing with Amazon in that? Well, first of all, competing with Amazon for most people is terrible. <laughs> Amazon is killing most retailers. You know, for me, you know, I actually started e-commerce in 1999. So it was kind of when e-commerce was starting very early for e-commerce. And we built a company, GSI Commerce, to provide big brands, big retailers like Toys R Us, um, you know, GNC, Dick Sporting Goods, Ralph Lauren, Estee Lauder. We provided a lot of the e-commerce infrastructure for them or the different right. marketing capabilities they needed. And it was, a, it, was a, it was a really good business. But for me, when eBay wanted to buy the company to help uh, these big retailers compete more effectively with Amazon. It was a great time for me to move on. Mm-hmm. And I bought back from them Fanatics, which was a pretty small company then. Right. The last decade, really building that business. Yeah. Uh, shoot. So for those people who don't, I know you touched on a little bit, a little bit, but for those people that don't know with GSI, how did you come up with GSI? Did you have partners or was it something you came up with, your, with yourself and uh, let people kind of know, you, you spoke on a little bit, let people know what GSI was. Yeah, so the way I came up with the company was I had a company in my early 20s that bought and sold clothes out footwear. So I'd buy feel a shoe and sell, you know, from feel and sell it to a, you know, a TJ Maxx or a Models or Marshalls. And then I owned 
couple of footwear brands. And um, the real story goes, Thanksgiving of 1998, this guy named Mike Kind, he calls me up, he was an analyst on Wall Street. So he, 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 he researched my company. And he said, hey, what are you doing about this e-commerce thing? I'm like, man, don't bother me with this e-commerce thing. It's all these young kids who right. raise lots of money, but they don't make any money. Like, I'm not, you know, like, I don't want to waste my time on this. And I hung up on him. <laughs> Calls me back. He's like, man, you got to think about this e-commerce thing. And so like any entrepreneur, I started calling my big accounts for my business. So I called Dell, yeah. who owns Dell Sporting Goods. And I called the you know person who, you know, was the CEO of Dick Sporting Goods, Ed Stack. And I called the CEO of the sports. I said, what are you doing about e-commerce? And they all said, the same thing. they said, look, we think e-commerce is a big opportunity. But we have no idea how to approach it. Like you're young. If you understand, I have a good solution. Bring right. it us. And sure enough, I right then in the next couple of weeks, I reinvented my company and I started GSI Commerce in January of 1999. I got five of the top 10 sporting goods retailers to work with me over the next 10 years and um, raised $80 million from SoftBank a few months later. And we were off to the race, and that's the business I sold to eBay in uh, 2011. Man, bro, hey, some dope, some dope shit, man. Uh, you know, for for a person like myself, man, I, I I could never, I wouldn't say I could never, but you know, for for me to to be in the business world is it's, it's tough, man. I I think you know I'm made for to play football. I mean, I made I made to play football. <laughs> you know, I I'll tell you what. But you have a great personality and people love you. And you know, if you have that leadership skill, you can get people to follow you in whatever you do. And that's why I've learned in life. You know, if you build great relationships in life, then you know what? People will be there to surround you and get behind you in whatever you want to do. No, that's true. You're true. hundred percent true. So let, let's talk a little bit about uh, Fanatics, the company Fanatics. We, I, we, all, we all know what Fanatics is now. But uh, what, so once you sold GSI in 2011, you turned around and bought Fanatics back. Uh, I, I read something where eBay wasn't really uh, interested in uh, Fanatics, correct? Yeah, eBay wanted to take the big retailers and brands that we work with and put them into, into their marketplace to compete more effectively with Amazon. We had this business, Fanatics, at that point it was a pretty small business, about $250 million a year that ran the NFL shop, it ran the NBA store, it ran NHL store, Major League Baseball store. And they said, hey, we're going to sell this business. And I said, hey, I'd be happy to buy it back. And that's what happened in uh, March of 2011. Fast forward a decade later, business will be well over $3 billion next year. It's grown incredibly quickly. You know, we operate, you know, most major sports properties, e-commerce business, everywhere in the world, but professional sites like Philadelphia Eagles and NFL Shop, but also collegiate sites. We operate soccer teams. You know, it's, it's become a pretty big business. And the most exciting thing for me, we're just getting started. Company's gone from $250 million to over $3 billion, but we're just starting. So, we're in the first quarter of the football game. Man, you know, I, I mess with you all the time, but I'm, I'm really not messing with you, man. I, I I need to figure out a way how I can get in on that Fanatics deal. Because once you sell it, you you might be the rich. You, you probably are right now the richest person I know. But once you sell that, I need to figure out a way to, to get on that side of the game with you, man. So don't forget about me when you sell that Fanatics, man. I never forget it. I never forget it, forget it about my guy. But I'm all about building things. I don't ever think about selling things to me. You want to build a great business. For me, I think about how do we build a better experience for the sports fan? I want to make sure everyone wants to, every time someone wants to buy your jersey, they can go to, they can get whatever they need, whatever, whichever version they want, whichever gender they want, whichever product they want. And we're going to have your jersey in stock and be able to get it to them and make sports fans happy. For sure. Hey man, uh, last, last topic about, uh, and then we're going to, we're going to switch it, switch it up a little bit. Um, so from the e-commerce, right? The e-commerce versus v-commerce. Uh, and vertically integrated, like 
because I know the Zars and the HMs and them companies like that or or, or something that if I'm if I'm not saying it the right way, if I am, correct me. But I'm trying to get the understanding of it and people back home that's watching could get the understanding of it too. What is the difference between the e-commerce and the v-commerce? Yeah, it's it's really straightforward. So when Fanatics started, it was selling all other people's merchandise. Think about like a you walk into a Best Buy or a Walmart, they sell all these different brands. Yeah. What a Zara does, what H&M does, they sell their own merchandise. So what we've done is we built Fanatics into a vertical company. So everything Nike that we make. So anytime you buy a Nike jersey, Fanatics actually makes that jersey. Anytime you buy a, a baseball, right. make that jersey. So we've created what we call a V-commerce company. It's e-commerce that's vertical. Which right. e-commerce. So think about, it's really like an online version of an yeah. M or a Zara or a Lululemon, but in the sports business. Definitely, man. You know, uh, you know, rest in peace, my boy Nipsey Hussle, man. That's that's kind of how I first heard about vertically integrated, man, because he was talking about how things are changing. And like you said, you can make freaking Nike, you can make Reebok, whatever, and be directly from your company, Fanatics, man. So that's that's actually a dope idea, man, and a dope concept you even came up with. Um, is there anybody you give credit to? I'm sure you have people that business partners or you know somebody to help you, because I I know you're not just the only person that's smart, but I know you got people behind you. Who, do, who else do you give credit to? Kind of, you, you know, know your partner. yeah, for me, first of all, we have 7,000 employees at Fanatics and it's really, you know, our 7,000 employees that wake up each day and go to bed obsessed with how to create the best experience for sports fans. And, you know, really how do we help our sports properties, you know, kind of get their brands out there. So we've got a great organization. And like, for me, listen, I'm barely made out of high school. I went to college for six weeks. I'm a sponge. I get smart people around me and learn the same way you ask me questions. I'll ask you questions. We all, we all learn about each other's worlds and that's how I grow and learn. Right. Nah, dope, man. Uh, so listen, I, I kind of want to, I want to ask, it's, it, was, it was something that kind of bothered me that I found about you and I didn't really think it was true, but what is it about competition that, that makes you paranoid or that bothers you? Cause I, I saw something that was like, why wouldn't I be, worried or why wouldn't I be paranoid about something? I say, I know him. He's tougher than that. What, what is that philosophy and what is that idea that like makes you paranoid in, in competition? In, in yeah, so um, it's really pretty straightforward. I'm going to, you know, e-commerce is a really competitive business, yeah. but then the NFL is a really competitive business. And so I know there's always someone who's trying to kill us. And you know, there's always somebody who wants your job. So right. what you think about is that paranoia drives us to be better, to be smarter, to compete more effectively. So I don't ever rest. I don't ever, you know, think like, hey, we're good. That's bullshit. We're never good. We always need to figure out how to be better, how to create mm-hmm. experience. And so for me, yeah, I'm incredibly paranoid. I don't, you know, in business, I don't have a lot of trust for, you know, a lot of things we do. I'm always going to want to push our organization. I'm going to want to push myself. I'm going to want to push our strategic thing. Because if not, I'll be dead. The second I get lazy is the second it's over. It's lights out. Hey man, that's that's crazy, man. I, I love that. He said, "I don't give a fuck how much money we got. How what are we doing? How successful? We ain't good. We gotta wake up. We gotta sleep, breathe, shit. This fucking lifestyle and whatever we thinking, it gotta be great, and that gotta be the only thing we doing. Because if you at the top, man, you don't want to go down. You never want to go down. You want to stay at the top, and you don't want to stay at the top. You want to surpass the top. So I love that mentality, and I'm glad you cleared that up for me because I know you. And I said he's. That dude ain't, he not a punk. He not soft. <laughs> I know you better than that. Hey, uh, uh, let me tell you, I'm going to tell you something. When you're not, when you're just starting, everyone wants to build you up. When you get to the top, everyone wants to take you down. And so mm-hmm. I want to make as many friends as I can to make sure people are supporting me, but I want to keep pushing. 
Hey man. So 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 one thing, because I, I know we're gonna have a lot of people sitting back at home, uh, you know, just trying to figure out what they can do. Um, and you know, this podcast, man, Fade the Booth is all for motivation, man. We giving people the hope. We going into them areas where you know people are, are, are in the slums and they don't really have much. So for me, you know, I like to always give the advice to to people that's sitting back playing sports or that might not be a professional yet. You know, me and I I've learned this from uh Floyd Mayweather. I'm you know sure he's a good friend of yours as well, too. But you know, hard work, dedication, man, you know, and and never being content, never having that that mindset where I'm good. And you know, I, I feel like for yourself, man, what is what is some advice you could give to you know some up and coming, you know, entrepreneurs or some people that's uh you know sitting back trying to put their master plan together? Like, what is something of advice you could give them to keep motivating them? Yeah, well, the first thing I would say is don't be scared to fail. So many people are like, I got this good idea. I want to do this. And it's an idea. They don't do anything about it. Like, you got to go for it. Like, the reason I've been somewhat successful in my life is I'm not scared to fail. I just go. And the worst right. thing happens, it doesn't work out. And then I learn from it and grow. So, you know, if you'd say what's made me successful, I'd say it's been a couple of things. One, I have no fear of failing. Okay. I only get more motivated by that. So, like, I'm always going for it. The second thing is... Um, I get great people around me and like, you know, I build great teams. Like to me, you can't win on your own. You know, if you went out to play an NFL game on your own, you're not going to do very well against the, against the other team. So I want to build great organizations, have people in different spots that all complement each other and work really well together. And then it's work ethic, man. I'll outwork anybody. Like, mm-hmm. you know, this with me sometimes like, you know, I'm really responsive. I'm like, I'm out and I'm happy. And then other times I'm just, I'm in the zone. I'm working. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. you can't break my concentration. And right. so, I think hard work, bring people around you, not be afraid to fail. You know, you're, you're going to be pretty successful. Man, that's, that's that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Everybody at home sitting back, man. Hard work. Don't be afraid to fail. If you fail, get back up and try again. Hey, man, this is crazy that you just spoke on that because my favorite my favorite quote from you, and this, I know it's going to sound familiar. People are afraid to, I mean, people are scared to fail. You are going to fail. Failing is a part of growing. That's that's your quote, man. You know, I, I you you kind of just touched on that, but I, I gotta I gotta go back to this because this part of my show we call this billionaire talk. I'm a billionaire, billionaire. I'm a billionaire, billionaire. Like a like a billionaire. Everyone wants to be a billionaire. I mean, shoot, if you're not doing it, I mean, if you're not trying to get to the highest level, why? I mean, shoot, I know you want to be a trillionaire, right? You know, I'm going to tell you, <laughs> I, you know what? The most important thing I want to be now, I want to have fun every day. I want to learn every day. I want to be around great people. I want to grow. I really don't care. Like, listen, there's, I don't, there's no amount of money that's going to change my life. And yeah, hopefully I'll keep being more successful. But the most important thing I love is learning and growing. That's the thing that I get most excited about. And I'll keep working like this. I'm 48 now. People, a lot of people think I'm younger than that. Yeah, you are young, bro. But you know what? I'm gonna work like this till the day I die. Cause you know what? It's fun. Like I love the action. You know, that's that's why I, I live for. I wake up every morning excited to go kill it at work. I go to bed every night dizzy, 
from what I did that day. And I wake up in the middle of the night thinking about what do I need to do? What are the different ideas I have? I dream about business stuff, literally. That's, that's awesome. So, that, so, so, as far as the billionaire talk, man, the billionaire talk is a part of my show. Once again, everybody is called billionaire talk. Question for you, man, is can can you you gotta you gotta do it for your boy because you own fade the booth. I need you to share a story with me, man. That it could be anything, man. It could be knowledge. It could be insight. Doesn't know somebody. I'll give you. I'll give you a good little motivational story. Spring two thousand nine. So it's only eleven years ago. The stock market falling apart. The whole, you know, market crash. World. Everyone thinks the world's coming to an end. Stock market's, you know, down like crazy. I was literally almost pushed out of my company that I sold, and I was uh, almost ran out of money. And every day, I had to work to raise more money to pay back a bank that I owed money to. And I was literally, I was hours away from being pushed out of my own company, but I didn't give up. And I finally got all the money back. A year and a half later, I sold the company for two and a half billion dollars. So one, sorry, one and a half years. I went spring of 2019, sorry, spring of 2009. I went from almost being out of money, pushed out of my company to less than two years later, selling the company for $2.4 billion to eBay. Why? Because I won't freaking quit. Period. End of story. Man, so, so take me through that. Like, what is that like to have the mentality that like you don't sleep. I, I I know you. You really don't sleep. You you travel. You work. I mean, what is it like for a, a guy like yourself, man? That's you know have so many different businesses, entrepreneurships. Like, do you put all the faith in your team and you you know kind of sit back and play the role? But I, I know you, and I, that's not fair to say because I'm you're not actually a sit back guy. You know, look, yeah. I believe in you want to get great people around you, but you want to ask the tough questions. You want to push hard. Like the way my brain works. Like I know, I'm actually not the CEO of each of my companies. I have great CEOs that run each of the businesses, and then I kind of sit as what's called an executive chairman. So I work with the CEO to grow the business, you know, kind of day in and day out, or each week. And you know, for me, that's what works best for me. But I'm always pushing. I'm always thinking. I'm always coming up with ideas, and that's you know. But I also know how to stay out of the way. Like you know, the guy who runs Fanatics, Doug Back, he's incredible, and I know. You know, he's got a $160 million technology budget per year. I don't talk to him about that because I can't wow. give value to it. You know, <laughs> he operates warehouses with thousands of employees. I don't talk to him about that, but I'll talk to him about a new strategy or a new business idea. So we work really well together and, you know, to me, but, you know, I'm never the guy to sit back. That's not who I am. No, you're not a sit back guy. Should even like we had the Sixer game having fun. It's like in a crucial, like the, the Sixer could be up 20 points, 15 points. This dude's still like, I got to be focused on the game. And I'm like, I'm trying to hit him like, yo, man, let's like, try to holler at him and all that. He's hey, like, man, hold on. He's like, this, hold on. This, this, hold on. This is Michael Ruber right here. Hold on. Drake's called him. He's talking shit about his fucking Raptors. <laughs> well, you were there during that series. And I didn't like him very much during those, uh, during that series. And, you know, I still, I'm still getting over that, but. Hey, no, nah, man, you're a serious dude, man. I love it, man. So, uh, you know, we. It's we, rare to win. What's your job? Your job is helping championships to build out that's my job. You know, we all like if you're involved with a sports franchise, you got one you got one job, one job only. How do you bring a championship to to your city? That's your responsibility. So, you know, anything short of that, we're not we're not doing what we want to do. Kick ass, man. So, you know, we're almost, you know, at that point, man. Uh, you know, I got a few more for you, but uh before we get to that, endorsements and sponsorships against all odds on all major platforms, Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud. 
it's actually my first album I actually released, man, Against All Odds. I don't even know if you heard it yet, man. You heard any songs from my album? Talking about, it. I put it out on my Instagram right away. Like, There's my guy. Hey, that's my brother, man. Y'all check out Against All Odds. And uh, before I get out of here, I can't forget to you know shout out Sports Rhythms, man. It's Play for Life. It's a company that me and my older brother Byron Jackson came up with. Hey, don't forget about the documentary, bro. I still need your help on the documentary, bro. You got it, brother. I'm there for you. All right, a uh, few more, man. We're gonna get out of here, man. So, uh, you know, touching on the. Uh, you know, where the world has came today, man, and where we're at, man. I, I feel like I have a lot of respect for you for one reason, and, and it's not only one reason. I have multiple I say reasons. It's only one reason I got No, it. no, no. You know it's multiple <laughs> reasons I respect you. But I, I have a huge respect for you, man, on the Social Injustice and the Reform Alliance. Um, I, I want to touch on that, man, and, and, and touch on your relationship with, with Meek Mill, man. Um, You know, you had a, a chance to, you know, it was six years, six, what, six, seven, eight years that you've been on Meek. I, uh. How, how has that been for you, man? I know you you, you came to, um, you know, his back, man, in a, in a crucial time in his life when he had a, a judge that, you know, kept trying to punish him for um, his probation. Um, tell me how you got into the social injustice reform. And, um, you know, man, I got to just I, I got to say it. I got a lot of respect for you just because off the off the bridge, the gap, man, in the, in, in the cultural society we're going through right now, man. Tell me, like, you know, just just touch on that a little bit for me, man. Yeah, you look, look, for me, um, a lot of people don't get, you know, kind of the, kind of how the relationship with, with for me and I started. You know, we met, I guess, probably six, seven years ago at, a, at an all-star game, uh, an all-star game. And, um, you know, Meek just, you know, we just started talking. We were sitting next, we sat next to each other. And he's like, I'm from Philly. And I had no idea who he was. And I'm like, hey, you know, I'm one of the owners of the Sixers. And, you know, he said, you know, hey, can I, you know, I'd love to come to some games. I'd love to have you come and hang. And, you know, we just started, he started coming to games, started hanging out. But one of the interesting things, when I first met Meek, he told me, he says, you know, by the way, you know, I was charged with pouring a gun at multiple police officers when I was 19. He said, and do you think I'm suicidal? It's, it's one of the first things he said to me. I'm like, what do you mean? He said, if you pour in a gun at multiple police officers, that's called suicide. He said, that's what that is. He said, do I seem suicidal? He told me that the first day I met him. So anyway, long story short, Meek and I, you know, we became, you know, really friendly over the next, you know, three or four years. And I guess by, you know, 2017, you know, I was talking, you know, Meek and I were probably talking the phone, you know, almost every day. Uh, and he was on probation, so he wasn't allowed to leave and go perform. And that's what I didn't understand. I didn't even know what probation was, to be honest with you. You know, <laughs> you know where I grew up, you know, we didn't think about probation, you know. And so I said to Meek, like, I don't understand why you're always in Philadelphia. Like, what is going on? He's like, Michael, I can't leave this city. And so I think everyone knows the story. You know, me popped a wheelie on a motorcycle, broke up a fight in the airport, no charges in either case. And the judge sent him to prison for two to four years for that. And seeing a guy who became, you know, one of my closest friends, I'm sitting in court with him and I'm watching a guy who didn't commit a crime go to prison for two to four years. I was like, it shook me at my core. And, you know, myself and uh, Jay-Z and, and Desiree Perez, the CEO of Rock Nation, Spent the next five and a half months working to get him out of prison. But what I learned during that period of time is it wasn't just his crazy judge. It's actually that the criminal justice system finally broken. Right. When um, I said to Meek, as soon as you get out of prison, we got to turn this negative into a positive and help the millions of other people. And he's like, 100%, we got to do that. So literally, he's out of prison. The next day, we're talking about between myself, Robert Kraft, Jay-Z, like, how do we fix this underlying system? And, you know, 
the you know nine founding partners put up $50 million, hired Van Jones as the CEO to change the laws in each state um, to put limits on how long you can be on probation. And by the way, in the state you're from in California, um, you just ago, passed, right? I saw that. Yeah, Gavin Newsom signed in the law um, a limit that you can only be on probation for one year for a misdemeanor or two years for a felony. And that makes sense because after that, it actually doesn't do any value. It's not people, it's actually hurting people. And so we want to put limits on how long you'd be on probation. We want to not have you be able to go to prison if you don't commit a crime. 20% of the people that go to prison each year actually don't commit crimes. They're going to prison for what's called a technical violation. That means you know, they didn't show up for their meeting with a probation officer. They tested positive for smoking weed. You know, something that's a very minor, minor offense. Crime. And yeah. so we're working to change all the laws and to educate people. And I'll tell you, it's been something I've become incredibly passionate about. We have incredible, you know, founding partners, Jay-Z, me, Robert Kraft, uh, Mike Novogratz, uh, Dan, uh, Dan Loeb, um, Robert Smith, who's, um, you know, great guy, um, Joan Clarissai, Lauren John Arnold. So we have incredible founding partners that are really committed to fixing the underlying probation issue. And the most important thing I can tell you, there's 2.2 million people in prison and jail. There's actually four and a half million people on probation and parole. So we're really focused on helping those four and a half million people. Man, no, that's that's awesome, man. I, I salute you for that, my brother. It's, it's actually like you tapped into a to your outer space box. It's like, you know, you, you once you were so uh, successful at something else, it's like, man, you, you, you touched into another area where you're out helping people that's not committing, you know, uh, serious crimes and i feel like back back at home we have a lot of uh you know people that's it's a three strike rule it's like a a non-violent you know they they used to have it but i think it's passed over now so if you don't have a non-violent crime you know the three strike rule doesn't apply to you back in the day say if you had a drug case or you know anything that was non-violent and you had three strikes you going to jail for life so they actually re return that and uh reverse that that law so uh you know we appreciate that man because uh it's definitely, it's definitely important. Cause I mean, like my thing is like for Meek, you know, for, for artists, like if you're on probation, like you said, he's stuck in Philadelphia, he's not able to leave. Like that's how artists make their money. They go city to city, you know, traveling, doing appearances here and there, clubs, this and that. So if a, if a judge tells you, you can't leave Philly, like how am I supposed to make money? How am I supposed to feed my, my, my family? You get what I'm saying? That's what, that was just so crazy. But by the way, talking about the three strike rule, um, Meek and I were in um, LA at a criminal justice um, seminar in 2018. And there's a guy who spoke who got sentenced to 25 years in prison because he had $5 of marijuana. And because it was a third strike, wow. I, we got in the car and maybe it was $10 of marijuana. It was literally like five or $10 of marijuana. This is, you know, you're gonna hear this, you're like, this is impossible. And I got in the car, I looked at me, I said, Meek, this is the most fucked up thing I've ever heard. I don't understand how could you how could you get sent to prison at all for having ten dollars of marijuana? It makes like that's a normal day. I'm like, this is not normal. He's like, no. we fought in the car for the next thirty minutes about this is what happened. He's like, I'm like, this is not normal. I'm like, this is normal. Like, do not think it's normal. Hey man, no, nah, that, that that just touches on like how you feel. Like you know, for for anybody to not know Michael Rubin. As you can tell, it's, it's a never race thing with him, man. Like he's he's your brother, regardless of a color, man. And, you know, he's all about love and positivity, man. So like since I've met him day one, man, he's always showed me that and he's always been open doors and open arms to me. So um, 
man, all, we all done with the business stuff, man. I got about one or two more questions, and we're going to get up out of here, man. So 76ers, man, you know, this, this is my part. We, we talking sports now, man. 76ers, man, you're a co-owner of the 76ers. Hey, I just signed one of my favorite coaches of all time, man. Doc Rivers? How did y'all pull that one off, man? Yes, I'll tell you what. Let's see. You, know, you, you cut through. When we got through this offseason, I think we were really disappointed. You know, we had high expectations for where, where we get to, and we didn't achieve those expectations. I think, um, you know, led by, you know, my partner Josh Harris and, and David Blitzer, um, you know, we were very committed to figure out how do we significantly upgrade the team. Um, and so, um, you know, no secret, you know, we moved on from Brett Brown, who's a great guy, but it was time to move on from Brett. And we had a search out for coaching. Literally the second um, Doc Rivers became available, um, you know, as an organization, we were all over that because we knew he was an incredible coach and one that could help us get to the next level. And so we were excited to, you know, literally within minutes of him being available, we were in touch to say, we want to talk to him. You know, he was out meeting in Philadelphia literally 36 hours later. Same thing with Daryl Morey. Daryl Morey is a guy who we looked at hiring um, two and a half years ago and weren't able to get him then, but he's somebody who we thought was incredibly, um, you know, an incredible talent. And as soon as Daryl became available, we were getting in touch. So I'll tell you, as an organization, I think the Sixers recognizes, you know, we weren't where we needed to be. We had to improve in a big way. And I think in the off season, I'm incredibly proud of what we've done to, you know, bring in Doc, to bring in Daryl, to make other changes in the front office, because we have one goal. It's to win championships. And that's what we want to do. And so we're going to do whatever it takes to accomplish that. 100%, man. I love the mentality, man. That's that's something I definitely can respect about you, man. Because I have a question for you. Come on. Lakers, Sixers, who are you rooting for? <laughs> I couldn't hear you. Can you, can you yeah, Lakers, Sixers, who are you rooting for? <laughs> you lucky I don't got my hat right here, man. Who just won? If I'm sitting next to you, no. If I'm if I'm sitting next to you, I'm going for the Sixers. That's the only way I'm going to vote. So I mean, Philadelphia Eagle. You're hey, gonna, you're gonna I got a question. I got a question for your ass in a second too. Boy. Yeah, yeah. You damn right. I got a question for you in a second too. Don't don't jump the gun because God damn it. Yeah, Patriots Eagles. Who? Yeah, let's not start. <laughs> we gonna get to it. I got I got I got a serious question though. You're you're a co-owner, so I know. When it comes down to players, you don't probably make them decisions. You have someone in position for that. Is, is my boy uh, Elton Brand still president? Yeah, El- Elton's our general manager. He's a great guy. He's a really important part of the organization. And I'm going to tell you a story about Elton, and this is one of the reasons I love Elton so much. The second the Dow Warrior became available, Elton was in touch with ownership saying, hey, this is a guy that can help us get to the next level. Get him here. I'd love to work with him day in and day out. And that's what a selfless guy Elton is. He just wants to grow, learn, get better. There are not most people who are a general manager of any sports team wouldn't say, here's a president of of a sport who would ultimately be my boss. Wouldn't say, go out and get that guy so we can win championships. That that just shows what a winner EB is. Yeah, that speaks a lot for for Elton Brand, too. Uh, Actually, a great, great friend, uh, you know, great older brother to me as well, too. Um, just a little bit, man. Tell me something about that roster and how you feel about them them guys and, and, and any additions added. Yeah, listen, my as you said up front, you know, my job as an owner is to, you know, make sure, first of all, it's really led by Josh Harris and, and David Bliss, but our job as an ownership group is to build the right, you know, basketball organization and have those guys make the decisions. They're going to make sure that we, you know, continue to strengthen the organization. But we look, we got, I'll tell you one thing that I've heard 
from Doc and Daryl is how excited they are about, you know, where we are today, about the roster we have. I mean, we're in a pretty good spot. I think, you know, we can, you know, I think we're going to, like any organization, keep striving to get better. Definitely, man. I look forward to, man, I, when all this damn, p- p- I mean, pandemic is over, man, we can sit back down and, you know, have some some good drinks and we ain't gonna we ain't gonna say our favorite kind of drinks, but you know, we have some good drinks and uh you can't talk about that time right now because we're not gonna do that. But hey man, last quote I I gotta gotta Can do I tell it. a great story about no, you. No, I'll go ahead. Shit, damn it, go ahead before we get up. Go ahead. <laughs> I will. So you know, we uh you know, one of the things we hung out, you were just back in Philadelphia. I was welcoming you back in Philadelphia, you were sitting across from me, and I decided to start playing rock, paper, scissors with me for shots of tequila. Needless to say, you went about 0 and 100, drank about shots of tequila, and weren't speaking English when you got finished. So, the story, if you want to do something with you, rock, paper, scissors is not your game. Hey, this dude, man, he got me, bro. So, we we doing rock, paper, scissors for the shot, because one shot came back like this big, and the other one was like this big. So, you know me, I try to get the little shot. You know, I'm out, I'm out of public. You know, I'm a I'm a uh, Philadelphia Eagle. It's all type of fans around. You know, this guy, he could, he could be a little more wasted than me, so... I was, paper, I, I was completely good. <laughs> we, do the, we do the rock, paper, scissors, and he got me. So I'm like, damn, how the hell I'm going to do this? So I had this big old shot, and I had to take it. I'm looking at him like, you son of a gun. <laughs> but he got me, man. But uh, that's the last one. I mean, we're going to get out of here, man. I appreciate your time. But uh, I had to do it to you, man. How the hell are you a Patriots fan over a Philadelphia Eagles fan, man? So I'm, a, I'm actually – I'm a legit Eagles fan. No, you're not. You and Robert Kraft are best friends, and you're a freaking Patriot fan, man. Come on. So you answered you answer the question yourself. So ask I know it. God damn it. So, I'm going to put so, you on the so spot here, on my show. So, so here's the answer. So first, I've always been an Eagles fan, and I am an Eagles fan. That said, Robert and John of the Kraft, they're like legit family to me. You know, I talk to them multiple times a day. And you know what? Family is everything. So, you know, I can tell you that if I went and bought a basketball team somewhere else, you'd support my basketball team because you're my guy. And so incredibly tight, um, you know, with the Kraft family. But Jeffrey Lurie is also a good friend of mine, and I am I am legit an Eagles fan. The most awkward moment I've had maybe in the last 10 years Super Bowl, yeah. played um, the Patriots in the Super Bowl. And um, you know what? I, you know, look, again, I'm so close with, with the Crafts, you know. You know, I, I couldn't not support them. Um, at the same time, the Eagles won, and I was happy for the city of Philadelphia. So you was going for basically you was going for the Patriots when that when the Eagles whooped their ass in two years ago, three years ago, right? Yeah, did you play on that team? I didn't, but I I felt like I deserved, <laughs> I, I felt like I deserved the ring. God damn it! <laughs> I'll order the ring up for you. Hey, yeah, man, appreciate you, man. Yo, everybody, that's my boy Michael Rubin, man. We on fade the booth. Y'all stay tuned, man. We got some more positive influencers coming on, and um, you know, man, it's all about living life, man, and loving life, man. Appreciate you, Mike, man. Hey, Anytime. love you, brother. Much love, brother. Appreciate it. I got the money, but my pride keep me in the streets. I got the hustle, but we guarantee we gon' go. I got a few plays. I'm quarterback. I'm Tom Brady, 12 in the pack. And I'ma throw it, get my arm crazy. If I'm playing too hard, you gotta get up off me. If I'm playing the ball, you can't come cross. A hundred thousand for this chain, that's small change. Ten mil for the crib, I'm in my own lane. I need it all, I built it up and said, fuck the pain. And now my kids get the money from my mutual funds. I set it up, I'm so cold, I'm the chosen one. All these niggas hating on me, I don't say a word. And I don't feed no birds. Nope. Me and my niggas won't feed no birds. Nope. Nope. I don't feed no birds. Me and my niggas yeah. won't feed no yeah. birds. Look. Look. And now my name ring bells all across the world. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.